If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Uh, I had thought um, at one point perhaps we should have had um, party poppers this morning to celebrate the ending of Luke's gospel, having been studying it for three years. But in the, in the circumstances, I thought it would be a little frivolous. So, um, but um, we've been studying Luke's gospel for three years. So, and uh, we've had you know, the odd little break to do different things. But um, uh, we started nearly three years ago and have been working our way through the whole gospel, which... Uh, some of us have, have, have rejoiced in, and um, <laughs> some, some, some of us might be quite pleased to see the back of Luke. But uh, we've, we're, we're there. We, are, we have arrived at the last. Uh, and it's, and it's, just, it's, a wonderful, um, it's a wonderful passage to finish on. And, and I was thinking, actually, just in, the, in the, you know, just in the circumstances that we're in at the moment after the, you know, the, the death of Queen Elizabeth, it's actually a fantastic passage for this Sunday and to be ending on because it's about... It's about resurrection and it's about new life and it's, it's really, it's the, it's about what made Queen Elizabeth who she was and what made her reign so special. It's the resurrection. Uh, so, uh, page 1062 in the Chapel Bibles, uh, we're picking up in verse 36 and uh, we're going to read to the end. So, Uh, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Let's pray for a moment uh, before we unpack those verses. Father, thank you for this day, this day of resurrection. And thank you for the passage before us this morning, which speaks of your resurrection. Uh, Jesus, thank you for the new life that your word brings to us. Uh, May we receive your new life this morning and may we receive the word that you have for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the um, uh, finishing off uh, Luke chapter 24 verses 36 to, to the end. And just to, 
To recap a little bit, I said um, a couple of weeks ago, and I think I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again this morning, just in case you weren't listening the previous two times, that, uh, that, or you weren't here, there's, there's just this really lovely um, uh, symmetry, Bible symmetry, between uh, what we were reading in, what we read in, in Genesis and what we read here, because Jesus' resurrection is it's, it's the beginning of a new creation. It's the beginning of the restoration of creation that has been lost. And so we read in the beginning of Genesis that, you know, that God does a work of creation. And then when he's finished his work of creation, he rests. He takes a Sabbath rest and then life begins. And we see the symmetry of that um, in the Gospels because Jesus has a work and his work is the redemption and the restoration of creation that has been lost. And so on the cross, Jesus says some of his last words, he says, it is finished. His work is finished and his death on the cross makes possible the redemption of creation that has been ruined through sin. So Jesus dies on the cross. He says it is finished. His work is complete. And then he rests in the tomb. He has a Sabbath rest and then he rises and new life begins and new creation begins. And so on this, we're still on this very first Easter day and this is this it's the first day of new creation. Uh, we know that it will be completed. We know what it is that we're looking forward to. I read this passage so many times. The promise that John sees in Revelation chapter 21. His description of the new heaven and the new earth. The dwelling of God is with people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The journey to that destination begins on Easter day. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. New creation has begun. And we live in, the, we live in a season where we are, that, that new life is constantly breaking into our world where people are constantly coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. And one day Jesus will return and we will enjoy uh, all the promises that we see uh, in Revelation. So that's the context in, in which we're, we're at, we're, where Jesus is making these appearances. And last Sunday, uh, remember, it was the two disciples on their way to Emmaus. They were, uh, they were distraught, they were, dis- they were dismayed, they, all their hopes they thought had come to an end. Remember, they've uh, the, the, you know, the, on Palm Sunday, they welcome Jesus into Jerusalem as the Messiah. And then they begin to have this conversation with Jesus. They don't realise it's Jesus. And they say, uh, well, there was this man who was a great prophet. Because they don't understand the kind of... And so Jesus explains it all. And now uh, here they are. And that's the two where, where we pick up in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, these um, two disciples back in Jerusalem with the 11. Jesus stands among them and says to them, Peace be with you. It's so lovely that when Jesus comes to us, that it's usually his, often his, his first words, is that Jesus comes to bring peace. And peace is not just the absence of conflict. It is everything as it was ever intended to be. When Jesus brings its peace, his peace to us, that's what he brings. So sometimes even in the midst of conflict, Jesus brings his peace. Because it's when we come to him that everything is put back in its proper order and everything clicks into place and everything makes sense and Jesus comes he says peace be with you because he knows they they are they haven't really got a clue what's going on they're trying to catch up with the speed of <laughs> which events are happening 
They're startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He says, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. He showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he says, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, Jesus is, has not just been raised from the dead. I know I've, I've said this so often, but we really need to kind of get our, our heads around what is going on here and the significance of Jesus' physical resurrection, because it's not just that Jesus died and he's been raised and he's the same as he was before he died, because he's not. This is his resurrection life and this is his resurrection body. And it's very important that we understand that Jesus is physically present with his friends, with his disciples. That's why he says, touch me. He says, look at my hands and my feet. Look at the wounds. He says, I am the same Jesus that you watched crucified three years ago. And he can see that they're still struggling to get their heads around this. So he says, have you got something to eat? He's like, I, ne- I can eat. I can digest food. I have a physical presence. But remember, they're in a locked room. They're in a locked room when Jesus appears. So he has a physical presence, but this is different. His resurrected body is different from the body that was crucified. Because this is new creation. This is the beginning of of new life. This is the beginning of the restoration of what was once lost. This is the, the joining together to, again of the things of heaven and the things of earth that were separated because of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, what was separated was the things of heaven and the things of earth because what was holy and what was perfect couldn't coexist with what was unholy and unrighteous, which is why Adam and Eve have to leave the garden. Uh, Remember, Revelation 21 talks about uh, God and his people walking together and living together. Well, that's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And then because of sin, they had to leave. Everything of heaven and earth was separated because of sin. And now in Jesus, the perfect resurrected son of God, it's all brought back together again. So Jesus is the first fruit. So when we think about heaven... We all have this image because we're so influenced by Greek thought, which has so dominated our culture for so long that we think we still subconsciously think physical things bad, spiritual things good. So when we die and go to heaven, it won't be physical. Because we'll leave all of that behind and we'll just be sitting on a cloud with our harps playing, I don't know, our favourite worship song forever. And we kind of have this image of heaven. That's what it's going to be like. I don't want to be doing that for eternity. (laughs) You know, there are not many choruses and hymns that you just want to sing over and over and over again. That's not the picture of the Bible. That's not Hebrew thought. Hebrew thought does not separate physical and spiritual there together because God created us physically. When we go to heaven, we are going to have as it's going to be as physical as this world is, only more so. And transformed beyond our comprehension. In heaven we will have physical bodies like Jesus. It's it's kind of beyond our imagination. But we see in Jesus the first fruits of what it's going to be like. We will have physical bodies but they will be so different. Imagine, you know, imagine, um, as we say this morning about, you know, Lydia lost her keys. Couldn't get into it. Imagine you don't need keys. 
Because you have a physical presence that actually can, like Jesus, you can walk through other physical property. You know, heaven is going to be way beyond what we can imagine. But we begin to see it in Jesus. It's physical, but it's it's a physicality that we can't imagine because it's a joining together again of all of heaven and all of earth. It's, it's the restoration of creation. It, it is, it's mind-blowing. We, we kind of, you know, we, we've made it all so small. We've made the, the, the goodness of God and the creativity, we've made it all so small. God has an amazing future planned for us. And in Jesus, we see it. And that's why the physical resurrection of Jesus is so important. Because he hasn't just been raised, he's been resurrected. And when we trust in Jesus, so too will we. So too will we. That's why it's so important. And that's why Jesus says, look, touch me. Look at my wounds. Give me something to eat. I'm really here. You saw me crucified three days ago and I'm back. It's the beginning of new creation. And then he begins to explain to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. It's all there. The amazing thing about Jesus is that, you know, it's all predicted in the Old Testament. Hundreds of prophecies that tell us about the coming of the Messiah, tell us about what kind of Messiah he was going to be. So even though his disciples have missed it while they've been living with him, they haven't understood it because they've had in mind this idea of a, of a kingly warrior Messiah. Jesus takes them back. And he says, no, look, look, go back to Isaiah. See what Isaiah says about a suffering servant. Go back to Abraham and Isaac and the offering that had to be offered. Go back to Adam and Eve and how God clothed them when they had to leave the Garden of Eden. But in order to clothe them, there had to be a sacrifice. An animal had to be sacrificed in order that they could be clothed. He takes them back and he opens their minds. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures uh, when we read this book, sometimes people read this book and, and it makes no sense at all because you need to have the author with you as you read the book. And so often when the word of God is proclaimed, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit opens people's minds and they see the truth in it and it makes sense. That's why we need to be praying for our friends who don't yet know Jesus, that their minds would be opened to hear and understand the word of God. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. It's all there in scripture. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. This is really important. Jesus is explaining to them what's really important The Christ will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day. And this is the message that he gives them to proclaim. Now, this is interesting because when you when you think about, well, what is the message that people hear being preached from the church in our day? What's the message? Jesus says, this is what you are to tell the world. This is what is really important. Now, my um, uh, my sort of perception is that over the over the years, much of the message that the church now preaches is God loves you. God loves you. And, well, you're sort of okay on your own. 
You're okay on your, as you are. What, what would be really good if you, if you could be, a, and this is a bit of a caricature, but uh, it'd be, be a bit more loving. You know, be a bit more kind. Uh, be a bit more godly. Have some, have some God in your life. And um, God loves you. And you don't really need to change because God, he kind of loves you as you are. And he just wants to help us all get along. Bit of a caricature, but so much that's the message that the church seems to proclaim. What does Jesus say that the message is? Uh, it's repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's the message. And yes, of course, God loves us. God loves us beyond anything that we could ever imagine or comprehend. And it's because that God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross. But the message is repentance. Yes, you do have to change. Yes, you're not okay as you are. Actually, you're in a really, really terrible place as you are without Jesus. Because you're on the road to hell. You're, because you're separated from God. Sin is a real problem. Because it separates you from the God who loves you. And if nothing is done about that, if that isn't changed, then your eternity will be one without God. Without eternal life. Repentance is the beginning because it, it means to, you know, to change your mind. It means to turn around. It means to live differently. And that's the, the heart of the gospel is you've got to change. You've got to change. You've got to turn around. You've got to recognise that you've fallen short of God's glory. And you need to come on your knees before a holy God and repent. That's the first bit of the message is, you know, yes, you can, you can say, yes, God loves you. But you're not OK as you are. You need to repent. And then the beautiful thing is immediately there's forgiveness of sins. That's the beauty of the gospel. That yes, it's, yes, I've, I've sinned. I've fallen short of God's glory. I've messed up. I need to come before Jesus on my knees and say, Lord, I, I just throw myself on your mercy because I've got nothing to bring. I've just got filthy rags to bring. And immediately you do that, forgiveness of sins. It's all done. It's all God's grace and mercy. It's, it's received because he made it possible because of his death on the cross. I, was, um, I had a lovely conversation with somebody um, yesterday evening and uh, who, who just, just off the back of Samuel's just testimony, it just really stirred them. And they were just, you know, wondering. And um, I just had this lovely conversation and I just was, had the opportunity to explain the beauty of the gospel that it's, repentance and then boom forgiveness of sins new life received in contrast to every other religious system which says you've got to work hard you've got to strive you've got to do everything in this life that you can and if you do all of that stuff then it may be it may be that you receive what it is you're hoping for. It may be that you have union with the divine. It may be that you become holy, but there's no certainty about that. Every religious system works one way or another in that way. You've got to do something. You've got to believe the right things. You've got to persevere. You've got to strive. And if you do all of that thing, then you might get the reward that you hope for. That's not the Christian faith. 
Christian faith is you recognise that you've screwed up, you say sorry, you come in repentance and Jesus says, I forgive you. Have new life. Live it. There's the certainty right there. No more striving. It's the gift. This is why... um, this is why I, th- I think I've, I'm going to sort of go off piece just slightly here. But this is why it's so important that we, we really need to pray for our new king. We really need to pray for our new king. We are in a really, uh, spiritually, we are at a very important juncture in the life of our nation and a very dangerous juncture in the life of our nation. Because what defined Queen Elizabeth's reign was she, she knew that Jesus was Lord. And she bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord. And that's why, you know, that's why she is the person that the whole world is, is mourning. Not just because she lived, you know, reigned for 70 years. It was the character of her reign. And the character of her reign was defined by the fact that she bowed the knee to Jesus. And she was a servant. And we have lost that. Because we have a king who doesn't understand the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't understand the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He, uh, he, um, our, our queen bowed the knee to Jesus and she respected everyone. And she respected people of other faiths. But she knew Jesus was unique. We have a king who doesn't understand the uniqueness of Jesus. It's not just that he respects other faiths. He embraces them. Now that is very significant because if you know your Old Testament history... And the history of Old Testament kings, you will know that when Old Testament kings embraced other faiths and other religions, it was a disaster for the nation because they give the king gives a lead. The sovereign gives a lead. And we now have a king who embraces other faiths. Spiritually, that is not the place where we want to be. And the consequences of that will be played out over time. And we need to pray for our king. And uh, when we sing the national anthem, God save our king, let that phrase be a prayer that he will come to understand the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and he will bow the knee. Uh, I said, um, you know, he was interviewed some years ago. And um, let me just say, I have huge respect for Prince Charles. I think he's, he's you know, he's a wonderful, the stuff that he's, he's done his charitable work, just, you know, amazing. I'm not saying absolutely anything at all against him. I'm just recognising the fact that he has said he wants to be defender of faith, not defender of the faith. You remove that word, the consequences spiritually are, you know, are devastating. So we must pray for him to bow the knee. Uh, we've, we've lost the covering over our nation. I really believe this. We've lost a covering over our nation because we now have a sovereign who doesn't bow to the king of kings. And when you don't do that, you know, never mind being a king, just as an individual, if you don't bow the knee to Jesus, there are consequences. But when you have a sovereign who doesn't do it, the consequences are not just for them, they're for the nation. So uh, let me just hop off, sort of come back on peace. But I just say that's the, you know, the uniqueness of the gospel is the fact that Jesus died and rose again and defeated death and defeated sin. So the gospel is repent, forgiveness of sins. Begin your new life. Don't have to wait for it. Don't have to live countless lives hoping that one day you'll do it. It's the gift, it's the gift of God. 
uh, how are we doing? Oh, gosh. Uh, verse 28. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. I'm going to send you what my father promised, the Holy Spirit. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? We need the Holy Spirit because the message that we have to give, it's not just one of information, it's one of transformation. Uh, Jesus came and proclaimed the kingdom of God and he told people about the kingdom of God. He called them to repentance and forgiveness of sins. And as he did that, he began to restore creation that had been lost. He, uh, he welcomed those who had become outcast. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. His, his love began to change the world. His love began to change the lives of those around him. And the church should be the continuation of that ministry, that God's love in us and through us and his power in us and through us begins to transform the society in which we live. That as people encounter us and encounter the church, they encounter the transforming presence and power of God. So in the church, people are set free, people are healed, people are welcomed, people are loved. All the stuff that the church is is doing in terms of blessing the community, the wider church, through food banks and street pastors. And and all of that stuff is an expression of the love of God. And we can only do it as God empowers us and as we receive his Holy Spirit. So as we go about the work that God has given us to do it, we must be asking God, Lord, I can't do this in my own strength. Would you fill me every day with the power of your Holy Spirit. The disciples were sent out not just with a message of information, but with a power to transform because God's purpose is to restore the whole of creation. Because the heaven that we're looking forward to is a new heaven and a new earth that is as physical as this world is, but transformed. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The the physical ascension of Jesus is as important as the physical resurrection. I know sometimes people kind of have have difficulty with the physical ascension of Jesus. I know even Christians who, who are okay with the physical resurrection of Jesus can't get their heads around the fact that Jesus physically ascended into heaven because it just sounds so crazy. Uh, there's, um, there's a um, chapel at, um, uh, I think, up, up at Walsingham in Norfolk and uh, in, the, in the chapel of the Ascension. There's basically this sort of two feet sticking through the ceiling because <laughs> it's uh, with kind of ropes. And when you kind of think of it like, you think, well, this is just bonkers. <laughs> it's just... But, you know, Luke's, he's trying to describe something that he actually is kind of almost beyond description. But actually, Jesus is physically resurrected and he physically returned to the Father. He didn't just kind of dissolve into a cloud. He phys- because he has this presence that now it sort of transcends earth and heaven. It's the body that one day we will have that kind of transcends the things of earth and heaven. Jesus' resurrected body means that he can inhabit earth and inhabit heaven. So... It's, it's beyond our imagination, but physically he returns to the Father and physically he's seated at the Father's right hand because he's the king. He's the king with authority. He is reigning in heaven. So the physical ascension of Jesus is as important because if he didn't physically ascend, then he can't be reigning. And he is reigning. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. 
And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And so Luke's gospel, um, it draws to a close. And it ends where it started. In Luke's gospel, the temple is really significant. So many things happen in and around the temple. And um, just to remind you of where we started three years ago, or nearly three years ago, uh, we started in the temple. We started with, um, with John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And that's where it all begins, because that's where Zechariah is told uh, the angel appears to him and says, your wife Elizabeth's prayer has been heard. She will have a child. And who is that child? John the Baptist. John the Baptist recognises Jesus as the Lamb of God who died for us. So Luke's gospel begins in the temple and it ends in the temple with the disciples worshipping. And then the church is born. So we've come to an end. We have finished Luke's gospel. We've ended in this wonderful place of resurrection and of promise and of new life that is for us and is for the whole world. And our task as the community of God's people is to preach a message of, yes, God loves the world. That's why he sent Jesus. But the important message is repentance. We've got to repent. We've got to turn around. But immediately there's forgiveness of sins. That's the good news. It's not a life of beating ourselves up and, you know, wandering around in sackcloth and ashes, uh, you know, trying to, you know, do enough that, no, we repent. And then immediately there's forgiveness of sins and there's life in all its fullness.